0: and welcome to the pre-snap motion podcast episode number 19 we are brought to you by sharpfootballanalysis.com my name is chad scott with me as always is my friend rich rebar rich going on buddy
1: what's happening, brother? I mean, you're just coming fresh off of vacation, Uh, coming back, you know, only two weeks to this first Thursday night game. It's creeping in. Hopefully we, you know, don't get any more of these hamstring camp injuries uh, that, you know, kind of are popping up, but uh, it's here, man. Hopefully some people are getting their drafts in, whether it's Zoom or you're doing uh, just joining online leagues or even if you're just planning on hanging out and you'll play in DFS this year. Uh, it's coming and it looks like it's, we're trending in a positive direction to really have yeah. football here.
0: Yeah, it's going to happen. I mean, as long as everybody does what they need to, we'll have it for a few weeks. So uh, it's very exciting. Um, we're going to talk about tight ends today. Uh, we're going to kind of wrap a bow on these position podcasts that we've been doing the last few weeks uh, and talk about tight ends. But before we do, I want to mention, uh, just go to the site. Make sure, uh, you know, we, we've mentioned every week. Make sure you're going over there and um Go to look at Warren's book, uh, 2020 Football Preview. Um, it's, uh, it's over on the site. Same with the fantasy package. Um, we only, Like we said, we only have two weeks left before the season starts. Everybody's drafts are uh, – you know, your home drafts are about to happen. Um, so you need to get dialed in. It's time because uh, football is happening. And, uh, you know, you got to spend a little money to make some more money. So um, go ahead and go over there. Do that because Rich, uh, you're you're pumping out a shit ton of 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 content. I'm just gonna go ahead and say that because you are. Um, and everything. Today was there...
1: my uh, not to toot my own Horn. I just wanted because I don't even know if it, I don't know if it's a milestone or it's you know even worth. But today was my 125th article of the off season.
0: Really? Well, congratulations. That is a milestone.
1: <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, uh,
0: that's impressive. I mean, that's that's basically like uh, what. Every one, every two days since COVID happened. I mean, that's, impre- that's impressive stuff right there.
1: The content's out there guys. I mean, I know well, that there's, we've shifted to more subscriber based and more draft content, you know, as we hone in, but there's a lot of free content out there too. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a lot of free stuff on the site still.
0: That's right. And you know, a lot of your nuggets, I mean, you, you say, you, you mention a lot of the nuggets that you, um, that, that you have on this podcast, which I appreciate it. So, and I know our listeners too, too. So let's, uh Let's jump right into it. Um, so, tight ends, we've done a, we've done the what can we learn um, the past few weeks, and so with tight ends, what can we learn from the tight end ADP for 2020? Um, you know, we've been we've talked about how fantasy analysts have, have done a pretty good job at setting the market, and we're also pretty good at, at figuring out like who are the the top guys to own. Um, we're always kind of a, des- a disaster with that middle tier, um, mm-hmm. maybe like five through 12 through 14, whatever it may be. Um, what is your, like, so the, where have the historical traps been for you and the spots that you don't want to be drafting a tight end? We'll talk about that first and then we'll kind of go on where we're looking to go, to draft tight end.
1: Yeah, so tight ends, you know, when, when I did these ADP pieces and looked at these historical trends and just kind of uh, how we've been, you know, how we've drafted, how good we've been setting the market, and tight end is by far, you know, worse, significantly worse than running back and wide receiver. We're better at those two positions than we are tight end. Obviously, you know, tight end is an inherently variant position. We are, like he's hinted at though, like, we are good at setting the top of the position when you just look at, over the past decade, uh, the 20 seasons where a tight end has averaged 15 or more PPR points per game, uh, 15 of those 20 seasons have come from a tight end that was a top 10 tight end pick that specific season. Uh, just two were taken later than tight end 14. Uh, 12 of those 20 seasons came from tight ends that were the tight end one through the tight end three drafted that specific season. Uh, and the tight end ones overall have been really solid picks. The guys that we've been taking early. um you know, since 2011, uh, the tight end one drafted in fantasy drafts has delivered a top 12 scoring season uh, in nine of those. Uh, you know, 10 seasons. Um, while the tight end one or the tight end two in overall scoring, uh, he's been the tight end one or the tight end two uh, in six of of those years. So, I mean, you're getting a nice floor with a high ceiling with these picks. Obviously. We've had some guys reel off some nice runs here. You know, we had Gronk transition to Kelsey. Uh, You know, Ertz has been really, you know, stable the past years. It looks like Kittle is going to be, like, in that conversation. But where we started to get sketchy is, like, immediately afterwards. We're just not nearly as good at figuring out the next best tight ends on a year-to-year basis. That next wave of tight ends that come off the board, specifically, like, tight ends four through six. And I think what typically you see happen in a draft is, those first guys go off the board. Right. And you say, well, I missed out on the big guys. And instead of waiting, you kind of get like into a panic zone where you're like, well, all right, I got to get a tight end. I got to get one. Uh, And you tend to reach a little bit on one of these guys that just doesn't have the pedigree. That uh, those top three guys had or you know it used to be two three you know this year maybe you can make a case for four guys uh, but the tight end four through six over the last decade uh, just 18 and a half percent of those guys have matched their cost but you know it's a high cost to try to match 40.7 percent of that field just turned in a top 12 scoring season at tight end uh, just 7.4 uh, percent turned in a top three scoring uh season that that year um and there have just been two top three scoring seasons at the position since 2011 to come from that portion uh of the draft so those that next wave that like you say i gotta get in rush in you know i missed out on hurts man i better come in this year and get darren waller or I to get you know evan ingram those yeah. guys that's that's been like the real trap spot but if you look at the lower end tight end one group uh, you know, tight ends seven through twelve. Those guys have hit for a higher rate. Those guys have scored more PPR points per game, uh, and at a level than that next that that tier two you would call them of tight ends. Uh, they've stayed healthier, um, and then they've also busted out at a, out at a lower rate. Uh, so they've been like a lot better to say. You know, if you miss out on you know Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews, and then even Earths. You know, don't force that next wave of guys, you know, wait and see what the room gives you at the lower end of the position. Uh, Because then also, too, if you look at, you know, tight end, we talk about having breakouts. There's more breakouts at the position at tight end than there are the other positions. Further, you go along outside of the starting parameters of the draft. Uh, Over the past decade, uh, tight end twos, you know, tight ends taking outside of the top 12 account for 37% of the top 12 you know, scoring seasons over the past decade, an average of 4.4 players per season. So we're entering the season you know, on a historical rate of saying four of the top 12 tight ends are going to be guys that are taking a tight end two or lower. Uh, so this is a great class of tight end twos where we can sell ourselves on a lot of these guys. But definitely say if you, if you miss out on one of the top guys, don't panic stay the course come in later for that lower uh, end run of the tight end ones and high tight end twos yeah
0: so like with the name i guess or a couple of the names that stick out to me when looking at uh consensus adp and ppr right now darren waller currently going in the fifth round evan ingram in the sixth round uh hunter henry in the seventh and all around
1: good receivers too good wide receivers in that area
0: yeah, yeah. So I mean those are guys I mean it's it's really hard to draft, you know, Darren the, those guys plus Tyler Higby, Rob Gronkowski, Jared Cook, um, a round or so later. Uh, when you can get guys like Austin Hooper, Noah Fant, T J Hawkinson, Mike Josecki, um, you can get those guys in the in the ninth, tenth, uh eleventh rounds. So yeah. I'm I'm totally with you on that one. And we've we've kind of been doing that in in a few of our drafts and we've been preaching that as well. So how should we approach the replaceability and replicability in fantasy football? Since you mentioned that early round tight ends have been strong fantasy producers, what kind of positional advantage does early round tight end offer compared to the other positions?
1: Yes, I mean when you look at it just from like a, a positional value stance and you know if you're using like a VBD model um you know it's gonna really pop this is where these guys pop and and then your your vvd model is going to tell you to draft these guys you know a lot of people use like the baseline positions in these models as like the tight end 12 in a 12 team league or typically the tight end 18 because you're counting for buys and you know man games played and the amount of players that'll be drafted Uh, but regardless of what you use as a baseline Um, all the way down, you look at the the tight end 12 just produced uh, historically over the past decade, 55.3% of the top tight end production, the tight end 18, 46.4% of the top tight end production. Even if you just look at, uh, the st- half of the starters, the tight end six, just produced 70.9% of uh, production that the tight end one average produces over the past decade. And if you compare that to other positions, the only position that has a larger discrepancy between the top scores at the position and then each subsequent baseline is the running back position. So it's always going to pop for you from a positional value stance that these are the edge from positional value stance are guys that provide that you know high leverage for you that uh again the context of their position and their peers they uh do offer that 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 immense value that's almost on the same level of running backs now there are a couple drawbacks to going early round tight end as well even though we kind of said like those guys have been stable they have stable floors high ceiling and in positional context they offer high leverage um but there are some hangups here uh no position has a worse Uh, roll over in terms of like week to week consistently than tight end. It's really not even particularly close, Uh, you know, basically because like their opportunity is the smallest of the skill positions Their players are inherently reliant on touchdowns a lot of the weeks. But, uh, you know, over the past decade, uh, 67.1% of all tight ends to post at least one top 12 scoring week, a tight end one scoring week in their respective season, come back and have multiple scoring uh, tight end one weeks in the season. Uh, If you compare it to the running back position, it's 76.8%, 77.9% at wide receiver, 81.2% at quarterback. If you keep going a step further, just 20.9% of all those tight ends went on to have six or more. Tight end one uh, starting caliber weeks in a season. Every other position at that threshold is over 30%. Just 11.1% of tight ends uh, are producing you know, eight or more starting caliber weeks uh, per season over that span, while every other position at that threshold is over 20%. Now, also, VBD inherently has a few traps uh, just with the approach. Uh, for one, tight ends also score the fewest amount of points. Uh, Compared to running backs and wide receivers, you know, you you know, even at the top, you know, Travis Kelsey doesn't score as much as Christian McCaffrey or Michael Thomas and so on and so forth, you know, on a yearly basis. And on a weekly basis, the tight ends don't score as much and have as high weekly ceiling. Second, there's a strictly value based uh, approach can get you in some trouble because it doesn't account generally for supply and demand and the component of supply and demand for fantasy football, traditional fantasy football lineup is, you know, uh, and everyone listening typically only requires one tight end to be in it, but at least two running backs, at least two wide receivers, often three wide receivers. And when you tack on injury rates, players busting um, flex spots, uh, just inherently, you know, being wrong in our player eval um, the demand to have to, to use your higher draft cap on running backs and receivers is just much greater than the other positions, uh, even before factoring in. Like I said, you know, tight ends score fewer actual points than those players, and so where many value-based approaches and models fail to encapsulate is that you know, supply and demand in relation to cost. When you look at ADP of, of these baselines that are using these VBD models over the past decade, the tight end twelve has been drafted on average to pick one eighteen point eight overall. The overall QB twelve is being selected at pick one hundred uh, overall. In the same span, running that's this, that's equal to the running back forty-two at the tight end position and the wide receiver forty-five. Mm. So your your value-based models are lining up for your baseline at the RB forty-two and the wide receiver forty-five marks. It's just it, so it doesn't add up. So like you're you're the edge you're gaining from a, like a, a context stance. You're really not gaining from a, a you know a supply and demand stance. Uh, Since you earlier in your drafts required to draft those other positions, the baseline's higher than the baseline is, you know, being factored into the context of our value (laughs) and generating what is our perceived value. Uh, So you're going to have to forego. And that's when opportunity cost comes into play. Uh, We'll talk a little bit, I guess, uh, you know, when we're willing to take those guys, I mean, or, or if you even willing are, I mean uh, I find myself and Kelsey are really the only two guys I'm targeting out of that top tier. I mean, sometimes Andrews, when he falls and Ertz, when they really slide, um, but it's even tricky to, to get in on that tier just because of, um, you know, the running backs and, and wide receivers are going to have to bypass those spots. So you said
0: you take Kelsey and Kittle, which obviously I think most people would agree. Like where – what's the earliest you draft Mark Andrews?
1: Um, In the third round, I think it just, you know, we, we have to – Yeah, I mean, I think what it matters though when it comes to Mark Andrews is what where is the wide receiver tier at that point. Yeah. I think if he's a guy that's going, you know, going to go after my wide receiver one tier is gone, I'm more inherently willing to take a a shot on him. Whereas Kelsey and Kittle, it's my top tier wide receivers is when I look. So like I frequently draft Kelsey and Kittle the most is when I have like a a front four pick, a top four pick, because I've already started with like a real bell cow runner. And then typically by then the running back cutoff is already hit. coming in that second round because it's been pushed up to the middle of the second round this year. And then by then my tier one wide receivers are gone, which are, you know, Adams, Michael Thomas, Tyreek Hill, and Julio Jones. Mm -hmm. So typically if that, if I don't get one of those wide receivers to fall through or one of those running backs to fall through, that's when I'll look and I'll compare a Kittle or Kelsey to say a Chris Godwin. Uh, And then by then you're looking at like a Todd Gurley uh, and a James Conner. And I do like James Conner. A bit too, but we're we're, we're past that running back one cutoff because of where it's been elevated. And then the guys that I believe are the real linchpin advantage wide receivers are also gone. So that's when I'll look for Kelsey and Kittle. And I also feel a little better bypassing the opportunity cost we just talked about because I believe I'm starting with one of those running backs that provides one of those true positional edges as well. Um, But I don't even always do that, Uh, it just has to fit. But that's when I find myself taking those guys the most frequently is when I'm in those one through four spots. Uh, and those two tier cutoffs have hit at the running back and wide receiver position.
0: Perfect. Um, and so what, as we've talked about with every uh, position podcast that we've done, uh, red zone performance, uh, especially with tight ends. I mean, this is kind of a, a big part of the tight end. Uh, you want your tight ends to score touchdowns because mm-hmm. if you don't have the elite one, you're not getting that yardage. Um, so who are some of the, who are the tight ends that, um you see kind of regressing or maybe regressing (laughs) towards the positive, I should say, uh, this year, or maybe even negatively?
1: Well, two guys positively. I mean, the first guy, the reason I'm willing to even, like, said entertain, you know, Kelsey, not just because he plays at Patrick Mahomes and he's been the tight end one four years in a row, but what if I told you that all number It ends this year, by the way. It ends this Uh year. I mean, it very well could, but what if I told you that the tight end one in fantasy football being drafted is also due for, like, major touchdown regression uh, <laughs> positively? I mean, you look at Kelsey, he was first in expected red zone points last year, but just 14th in actual red zone points scored. Uh, he had five touchdowns on just 97 catches. Uh, he converted just two of 19 red zone targets for touchdowns last year. He converted just two. Uh, of his targets inside the ten for touchdowns, and just one of eight end zone targets uh, for touchdowns um, and his catch rate in the in the red zone was thirty six point eight percent league average is fifty eight point eight percent so i 'm looking for Travis Kelsey and not only was he still the tight end one last year, despite all those shortcomings in the money zone, uh, he's due for have like some regression uh, to the mean there positively. Um, I know that's always an awkward thing, positive regression. But yeah, uh, yeah. you know, it, it, he's he's going to score more touchdowns here, he's, and we've seen it, you know, happen. It, it, it oscillated back really late in the season. he's had the three touchdowns against Houston, and then scored in the Super Bowl, uh, almost matched his season total in the postseason. <laughs> what yeah, he had. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, he's due for more touchdowns. I believe he scores them. Uh, I'm another guy that I believe a lot of people are on the fence on, but I believe is also due for. Uh, a touchdown spike is Tyler Higby. It's crazy because you think about how hot he ran to close the end of the season. And he actually ran cold yeah. in terms of scoring touchdowns. We I mean, had just three touchdowns on the season. Um, and he scored in both of his games versus Arizona, which kind of doesn't count uh, <laughs> since Ross Dwelley had two touchdowns against Arizona and Ricky Seals Jones had two touchdowns against Arizona and every other tight end you can think of outside of Tyler Eifert scored against Arizona um, in that five game kind of blitzkrieg that he had uh, to close the season. But Higby tied Kelsey for the league lead of all tight ends and red zone targets with 19. It's interesting is he caught 14 and 19 of those targets. He caught 74% of his red zone targets, mm. which you think would be like, that's a but like I said he only had the three touchdowns. This um, uh, tetrate led all tight ends at double uh, digit red zone opportunities scored just the three touchdowns, led the Rams with eight end zone targets as well. Only three he converted for touchdowns. Um, and he also, Tyler Higby got tackled at the one-yard line three different occasions, which was tied for the most in the league uh, mm-hmm. on receptions with Keenan Allen. Uh, so he, you know, if he just goes a yard further, you know, those three touchdowns can turn into six, they turn into five, and then, you know, you stretch out his usage over the full, full course of the season. If it would be a full season of usage, I mean, that you could be flirting with a double-digit tight end type of tight mm-hmm. end. Uh, So, I mean, he's definitely another guy I look at, too, if the room gives another sub. If he falls in that area we talked about, that trap zone, if someone wants to take Higby at tight end six, that's the zone I'm not willing to take him. But if Higby's the guy that falls, and he sometimes is because, you know, he's such a polarizing player, if he's the guy that goes tight end nine, tight end ten, that's when I'm interested in Tyler Higby and coming in on him, uh, Mm -hmm. was when he falls into that zone. Uh, So it's kind of a case-by-case, draft-by-draft basis uh, with Tyler Higby to see how the room plays him. Um, but definitely if he's the tight end that slides, I'm willing to take him at that cost because he showed the upside. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So you're, you have no worries about Gerald Everett, I'm assuming.
1: I mean, not as much. I mean, I think, that, you know, uh, Gerald Everett is a really good receiving tight end, but I just think that the the genie's kind of the out of the bottle. I mean, the ceiling that Higby scored was higher than any ceiling. Everett scored never Everett played well in the middle of last year. Um, and then I also think about the beginning of last season. So Higby got the contract extension coming into last year. Yep. And in week one – he outsnaps Gerald Everett, out targets Gerald Everett, and then has the lacerated lung or the punctured lung. And then Everett comes on, and it looks like Everett's going to run away, and then Everett gets hurt and opens the door back up. But I just think the genie's kind of just too far out of the bottle for Higby.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you had two, not one, but two different tight end articles go up today. Um, tight end archetypes and usage, snaps, routes, and targets. That one was the free article today. Uh, do you want to go over why it's important to uncover the tight end usage beyond just snaps played and overall targets?
1: I mean, you always see that, you know, when you get on Twitter or anything on a Monday morning and, you know, people are just telling you how many snaps a guy played. You know, we always see snap shares. And that definitely is, you know, inherently valuable, especially for, like, running backs. But uh, at tight end, it's, it's kind of got a wide variance when you're just looking at snaps and it's a true dual role position. Uh, Not every player is on, you know, kind of equal terms and, to how they're using the passing game. So you might see a guy that, is, you, that plays 80% of snaps, but if he only runs a pass route and 40% of snaps, that's a big difference. Whereas a guy might only play 60% of snaps. Like you would think Mark Andrews as a guy completely in this corollary, you know, he might only play 50, 60% of snaps, but all his snaps are pass routes and they're true passing game opportunities. Uh, so, I mean, there's a big level of difference when you're looking at that. And um, I did the stat tight end stats that matter. Um, a week ago and and routes run was significantly highly correlated on a weekly level and scoring output than snaps were at the tight end position. Uh, so we want to, we care about routes run and we care about how these guys are just using a per snap basis, you know, and how they are used on a per route basis. Uh, so that's what kind of has, you know, made Travis Kelsey, the biggest differentiator. I mean, not only is he a guy that, you know, leads the league at the position in snaps played, but he's also paced the position in routes run in three of the past, Uh, Each of the past three seasons, he's led the NFL in routes run, uh, and he's running a pass route on 57% of his snaps that he plays – uh, which is the top 12 player. So not only playing a lot of uh, snaps, he's running a lot of pass routes on those snaps. And then, you know, obviously he's getting used on those snaps. But that's kind of the gap between him and George Kittle. When you look at George Kittle now, how he's, he's used, last year George Kittle only ran a pass route on 42.1% of his snaps. Uh, that was ahead of just Johnny Smith and Tyler Higbee. Uh, in overall context, George Kittle ran 213 fewer pass routes. Than Travis Kelsey yeah and he he did miss two games Um, but I you know it's a big discrepancy per game basically like he would have had another 58 more pass routes so he'd been 160 fewer pass routes than Travis Kelsey but when you think about that actual running a pass route that's a significant gap between the two players but Kittle when he does run a pass route and it's similar for Mark Andrews in this context um he's he's the guy like when they throw so Kittle was second among all tight ends in target rate per route he's targeted on 31.4 percent of his routes that was just below Mark Andrews Um, but then you look at these other two guys I mentioned with him that these guys that aren't running a lot of pass routes and they're two different Higby was actually third in target rate per route run and before Higby even got hurt uh, and was out, you look at the front half of the season before he broke out, it wasn't, uh, it was just a matter of overall snaps for him. He was still being targeted on 27% of his routes before that spike. He just ran more pass routes uh, the back half of the season. So if that is able to continue, that target rate still didn't really move for him. But, you know, you had a guy like John o. Smith, and we try to want to talk about the breakout for John O. Smith. Um, and, you know, he uh, was last in routes run per snap at 35.1%. And he was just 20th, though, in target rate per route run. So it's not like he was even getting targeted on the routes he was running, which is kind of a problem. You know, when you say – you look at a guy like Johnny Smith, so that's how, like, the Mark Andrews, the Higbees last year, uh, George Kittle, they can get away with this Because when they do run pass routes, the ball's going to them. That wasn't the case for Johnny Smith. Uh, like I said, just 20th there. Um, and you look at the other end, too. Like, you, like Mike Gusecki is interesting because he's a guy that has the pass route value. Only Travis Kelsey and Zach Hertz ran more pass routes than Mike Kosecki. Um, but he was just 23rd in target rate at 15.3% per route. Uh, and then weeks nine through 17, he even led all tight ends and routes run. He ran 38 routes per game. Uh, but even then with Preston Williams out, he was targeted on just 17.1% of his routes. That's kind of a problem. If you know, the game script, alters it's just inherently like he's not running as many pass routes as he was last year uh you know the Dolphins do have actual running backs this year game script may not you know play out the, the fact that they'll run as much as they want to uh but they're going to run more than they did last year so if the routes come down and the target rate stays the same for Gasecki, it's going to be harder for him to break out uh unless he gets you know targeted at a very higher rate than he was last year per route run um and then you just look at a guy like Hayden Hurst, uh, who's going through this new situation. I mean, Hurst played just 23% and 41% of the team snaps his two years in Baltimore uh, and ran an actual passer on just 45% of those snaps, which was 27th of the top 30 players in ADP. But now he's being thrust into this role that Austin Hooper occupied. And for his career, Hooper ranks 10th in routes run per snap played. Uh, last year, he was fourth in the NFL in routes run despite missing three games. Um, he was fourth in routes run per snap a year ago. Uh, and then he was 13th in target rate per snap, uh, target rate per route run last year. So that's the kind of role Hayden Hurst is going into. That's part of the reason why he's gotten elevated to the point he has. But definitely there's a lot more context. That article's free. It's got stuff on the top 30 uh, tight ends in ADP right now, everyone from snap usage to uh, target rate per route and all that stuff. You can check all that stuff out for free on the site uh, if you're interested to see like, how all these tight ends are actually being used on a per snap basis.
0: Very useful as you're heading into your drafts. Um, and so with that, we're gonna play a little game of this or that.
1: You can get with this, or you can get with that. You can go with this, or you can go with that. You can get with this, or you can go with that.
0: All right, using the fantasy pros PPR ranks, not ADP, but ranks. First off, we have Darren Waller as your tight end five versus Evan Ingram as your tight end six. Rich, who are you taking here, and why?
1: So these are the this is the trap zone guys that we talked yeah. about. But I know can you say neither. You can't you can't scapegoat and say no neither, no no right? no. We have to say, <laughs> I think still here even despite kind of how it ended. I still have a little more faith in uh, Darren Waller. <laughs> Um, because I mean, he's got a couple of, you know, things that I think stand out for him is one. I still think he's going to lead the Raiders and targets and, you know, he was third among all tight ends and targets last year, second in, you know, receptions and receiving yards uh, second in yards per team pass attempt, which I kind of, you know, talked about in the tight end sticky stats article is very high correlation to points scored the following season. Uh actually the highest stat, uh the the highest correlation, even more than PBR points per game and stuff like that. It's it's actually the number one stat. I think where you're a little concerned with Waller is one is the you know the red zone usage. He actually is like I called him the tight end Robert Woods because he was the guy that was used between the twenties and then when they got into the time to score the money's money time they didn't throw him the football uh his his anticipated expected touchdown total was just 3.9 last year and he had three so it's hard to say there's regression uh just based on his yard his yardage Uh, a lot of people say that well based on yards he should have this many touchdowns well if you're not getting used near the end zone there is no regression to get to yeah um but I still think that they're, you know, the the he's he still is a better bet to lead his team in targets. He's not coming off a list Frank injury either. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Evan Ingram, we still have to kind of see. What his usage is going to be in this changeover uh, with Jason Garrett as the offensive coordinator, I mean, this is a guy that was completely misused the past few years. Only nine targets of 20 or more yards downfield the past two years combined for Everton Ingram. Just six end zone targets uh, the past two years. That's not the player that he was coming out of Ole Miss. He was, you know, basically thought of to be like one of these, you know, wide receivers, you know, uh, yeah. uh, you know basically a more wide receiver than tight end. And he has like not Darren been Wallet. Yes, like Darren Waller, but he hasn't been <laughs> using that capacity. Um, and then I also think when you just look at this Giants passing game and their their schedule outlook, this it's, schedule so rough, man. It's hard for me to think there's going to be a breakout uh, potential for this Giants passing game, a lot to the degree people have said, and we've talked about Daniel Jones a little bit. So I think if you're forcing me, I still think there's a lot more safety in Waller, um, especially in a full PPR league. Uh, I think Waller takes a hit a little bit in standard scoring, but in full PPR, I'm still going to side at Waller.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. And I think same with Evan Ingram. I think he takes all – I mean, it's the same hit that you would uh, in standard versus PPR as well. I think Waller is much safer. I think the additions of Rugs and Brian Edwards is actually a plus for him. Um, maybe the one thing I am worried about is those splits you see when, with, uh, Renfro on the field, mm-hmm. uh, with him and Waller at the same time. What if it's Nelson um, Aguilar? Well, I mean him, him as well. He's also, <laughs> he's also a scary beast, but, uh, and now they added Theo Riddick. So, I mean, okay, I'm taking Evan Ingram. I, 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 I backtrack No. Um, but no, yeah, I think Darren Waller is also the, the pick for me. Um, if I had to gun to my head. So. Uh, The next one we're going to do is a guy that we just, that you just, not we, but you just spoke extensively about in Tyler Higby, currently the tight end seven versus Hunter Henry as the tight end eight. This one's easy for me. Basically everything you said um, about his usage and what he can be in that offense um, versus a guy that just can't stay healthy, new quarterback in Tyro Taylor. I know he loves his tight ends, um, but still there's, we don't know how that chemistry and rapport is going to be. And again, he cannot stay on the field. I will take Tyler Higby uh, ten times out of ten on this.
1: yeah, I think just too. It's easy from a team context stance to yeah, yeah. To, to look at the Rams. we talked about golf on our quarterback show, just how we thought we was more arbitrage Matt Ryan, just like you know that their their passing volume is going to be so high the Rams, you know, based on their schedule and what they're going to have to do. I think it just opens a lot more doors when you consider the chargers have a lighter schedule. They've kind of tipped us off. They want to play defense, play ball protection, uh, protect the football, reduce play volume from what they've had, you know, the past, you know, few years, uh, you know, Tyrod Taylor. And when Anthony Lynn was paired with Tyrod Taylor, they were under 500 pass attempts all those years. Um, it's, it's hard to say. So I think Henry's a guy that's going to have to live off a little bit more touchdowns. He has scored 17 touchdowns. since He came in the league, which is eighth at the position, which is you like, but you said missed 23 games the past four years. Um, also it's hard for me to just fully buy into the tie rod, Charles Clay target narrative when the Buffalo receivers surrounding Charles right. Clay were so bad. Right. Um, I mean now you've got, now you've got Austin Eckler, you've got Keenan Allen, you've got Mike Williams. It's not Zay Jones. It's not eight games of Sammy Watkins, uh, you know, so it's a, lot, it's a lot different for me to just say that how sticky it is. Maybe Tyra really does like pepper in the tight ends. I don't want to say for sure and say it's complete. Not, it doesn't exist either. I just think the context of targeting Charles Clay was also a byproduct of the position the Bills offense was in as well. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I just have a lot more faith in the Rams passing game uh, than I do the Chargers passing game um, at this point. So, yeah, I'm with Higby here. Nice, nice. All right, so the next one
0: uh, we have... Is I know I have it up here somewhere. Here it is. It's uh god, it's two tight ends that I I don't know if I can stomach drafting at all, but it's Hayden Hurst tight end nine versus Austin Hooper tight end ten uh tight end ten. Austin Hooper has been getting a lot of buzz um lately for Mm his for performances in training camps so far. Um we know Hayden Hurst has obviously moved teams uh and is now with the Atlanta Falcons. Um, who you got here and why
1: this is another thing where I think team context I just like the Atlanta passing game a lot more and the volume upside and we laid out you know, the usage that Hooper had, you know, per route with the Falcons. And that's kind of the role Hurst is going into. And you look at the players, Hurst is going to have to compete for targets in the intermediate level with high volume. We're talking Laquan Treadwell, Russell Gage. We don't know if, you know, Todd Gurley is going to be a guy that gets a lot of targets uh, and is on the field in those situations. So, I mean, I do like the opportunity for Hurst. I think he's uh, risen a little bit higher than where I'm, uh, you know, completely comfortable with reaching on him. I I would like to get him a little lower in my specific draft. Cooper was a guy that was interesting because I think he the the hate like went way too far at like a point in the offseason when everyone is looking sure. at the transition of leaving Atlanta going to Cleveland. This team's probably going to have. Uh, a significant pass volume drop in the context of the Atlanta offense, but I still think when you look at Hooper, one, they made him, at the time, the highest paid tight end before Kill and Kelsey got their contracts, and there's no real wide receiver three for the Browns, that Hooper still was going to be a safe floor guy. The difference with Hooper, he's kind of like a poor man's kind of Ertz uh, in the sense, though, is like he doesn't create a, a lot on his own, so he's gonna, he's more of a catch-and-fall tight end. Um, so, I mean, if you take, you shave some of his volume, you know, he doesn't have the upside that he had. So I don't think he had the top six tight end in his range of outcomes, changing teams, but I definitely think he's good enough to still be a a tight end one, especially in full PPR. Uh, I think the floor is definitely there. I think he's going to be third on the Browns in targets. Um, for sure. I think that's his floor is being third on the team in targets. Uh, which offers uh, you know, a, a high floor at the position, on a position that also is bottomless. So I think that the hate was going too far at some point in the offseason. I think this is about the right spot for him. And it's kind of where I've had him uh, all year. Uh, but I do just like the probably the more range of outcomes than Hurst. I think Hooper is the safer pick, but I think at a tight end, when we're getting to that point, I want to just go for the ceiling a little bit more. And I think Hurst's ceiling is a little bit higher. That's kind of where I'm at with this.
0: You know, just looking back on what Baker Mayfield's done last year, I mean, Njoku was hurt pretty much most of the year. Uh, he rarely tar- targeted tight ends in 2019. I think it was under 70 targets uh, to all his tight ends, maybe 80 or something like that. Uh, in 2018, he targeted Njoku 88 times. Um, but this he's a totally different tight end than Njoku is. He's not this mm-hmm. athletic sort of beast that Njoku is um and so i i kind of see the same thing where he's kind of a fall down or a poor man zachert's where he just kind of catches the ball fall down he's not going to give you this athletic plays hayden hurst just gives you i think i think he's his his ceiling is so much higher in that offense um and that's in that range that's what you want to go for so obviously I'm, i'm 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 picking the quarterback in the team here and that's and that's with hayden hurst so uh, we'll move on with TJ Hawkinson at tight end 14 versus Noah Fant at tight end 15. Um, despite uh, this 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 ankle injury that TJ Hawkinson's been deal with has been dealing with this offseason, apparently uh, that's still not 100 percent. You know you know watching and I know these are just like training camp videos and training videos of of, of whatever. But I mean he he looks pretty damn good. Uh, <laughs> he kind of looks like the real deal. We saw glimpses of it last year. Uh, he's got the quarterback that we know st- as long as Stafford stays healthy and he's on the field, um, he's more than capable of supporting two wide receivers in a tight end um, in this offense. Uh, TJ Hawkinson is, is one of those kind of elite athlete- athletes, was drafted as such in the first round. Um, and Noah Fant is kind of a question mark to me because they have they have Cortland Sutton. Um, they drafted Jerry Judy. Uh, the running backs uh, are, are going to be catching out of the backfield, as we know, in Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon. I just don't see a path where he is getting more than 100 targets this year. So I'm going to go with TJ Hawkinson.
1: And th- w- this is the inverse of probably the Waller-Ingram where we won't, we say neither. It's probably both. The answer is probably about both. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, mean, like, um, I
0: love Fant, too. Like, don't get me wrong, but... Yeah, they're I fun like to pair, Arkansas, you know,
1: obviously, because yeah. they're the teammates, and then, then they're right next in ranks to each other. I actually have Fant a little bit higher, just because I can see, like, a path for him to be, like, the the second target on his team, whereas, really? you know,
0: Hawkinson,
1: Where Hawkinson probably needs at least one of those guys. Galladay oh, and Marver Jones probably do out-target him, but, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not down on Hawkinson by any level, either. I just think, too, also, when you look at Fant's rookie season, it puts him in, like, a really great set of cohorts that's just worth betting on. Uh he was the tenth tight end uh since two thousand ten to have five hundred receiving yards. And when you look at the list of the guys he joins, Mark Andrews, Chris Herndon, Evan Ingram, George Kittle, Dwayne Allen, Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez, uh Tim Wright, remember Tim Wright, uh and Tony Tony Moyaki. That's still pretty good company. I mean a lot of those guys are significant hits and guys that had longevity at the position. Really good company to to keep Tim Wright, oh, Arizona. Uh, no, he's a uh, Tampa Bay,
0: Tampa Bay. Thank you. And then
1: went to Detroit, I believe, ironically, and New yeah, England. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He,
0: he, he did go. I think he was even in, was he in Seattle for a little bit? I feel like he was in Seattle for a little bit too. Anyway,
1: go ahead. I think the, the, the thing <laughs> with Fanto is you hit on it, though, is that his overall offensive situation where you've been kind of siding with offensive climate is, you know, this Broncos situation has a lot of variance from ceiling to floor outcome. Uh there's a, there's a wide gap in how good or bad this, this Denver offense could be. Uh, and we saw, like, at the end of last season, now Fant was hurt, but, you know, he did struggle down the stretch with Drew Locke, and so did Sutton. You know, QB wins, win a, carried a lot of stock for Drew Locke uh, this offseason, but they did yeah. give him the weaponry to kind of prove himself. Hawkinson was great that, you know, that week one against Arizona was awesome, and then, you know, over his next 11 games just had the 26 catches before missing, you know, final forty two to that ankle injury. Um, but he is also the cheapest attachment you can get to Matthew Stafford, like you said, and if the, you know, volume is there, uh, in this Detroit passing game, there's an opportunity. I mean, I definitely believe Swift's going to occupy a nice little target share himself.
0: God, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: hope so. Um, like I said, I, I think that fans rookie season probably places him in a bucket of higher probability for upside more, but that's, uh, it's a little bit more of both. I do kind of just edge fan the slightest, but, uh, I mean, but I want both these guys
0: yeah and i mean we had to disagree on one of these guys anyway yeah yeah, it it had to be one of these guys and i will say um so since i've been i've been into this like card collecting thing now uh for the last few weeks i kind of just started this new hobby of mine and so card collectors are pretty pretty sharp when it comes to like values and like who's going to be the next thing and drew lock rookie cards right now are going for a pretty decent penny right now so really really are they the
1: mike trout four million dollar card
0: i they're not that quite yet but they're they're getting there uh yeah they're getting there drew locks uh i have one of his rookies so i'm gonna i'm gonna look to sell it to somebody Um, drew
1: lock cards a whale play
0: yeah (laughs) exactly so i i wanted to get it i wanted to go get it graded before like he he kind of shits the bed this this year so We'll, we'll see we'll see so that is actually going to do – no, wait. It's not going to do it, Rich. We have to go over our favorite late-round tight end uh, on that kind of deeper tier of guys. And uh, we want to do that before we get out of here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to you first on this
1: one. Uh, who do you got and why? So we did talk about this. So on average, 4.4 guys. So just to call it four, we'll round down. Uh, it's four of these guys that are taken outside of the top 12 tight ends end up being tight end ones. So, I mean, it's always kind of fun to, like, you know, pick out. And it's really, this year, there's, you have your flavor of choice. There's an argument to be made, I think, for seven, eight, yes. eight of these guys. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is a hard one, man. From an the, from the upside stance. I mean, at this point, you shouldn't be looking at the downside, right? Like, right. you shouldn't be trying to talk yourself out of one of these tight ends. Ask yourself, why would you draft him? And, then, and stop there. Why, like you know, don't worry about why you wouldn't say why you would. Right. Uh, for for me, that guy has always been all off season was Chris Herndon, and he's starting to get the buzz, and it's ruined. Um, but yeah, Chris Herndon was a guy I've been drafting the entire off season, way above cost, and where you could get him, and now it's starting to be ruined a little bit but I just think when you look at what I just said with Fant one of those guys was Chris Hernan uh you know over nine yards per target as a rookie 500 receiving yards uh hit all the thresholds that kind of point that he was going to break out last season was just a complete throwaway. he had the uh the suspension to start the season came right back to a hamstring injury only played you know what 18 snaps all year kind of a throwaway He kind of hits the ground running with him, The one, I think, downside to Herndon, though, is that like his major competition is Jamison Crowder, and like they occupy like the same area of the field. So, I mean, it's... Wait, you it's know, not Ryan Griffin? That's it's definitely not Ryan Griffin. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, anytime you think of like the where the Jets' lead receiver is, and maybe it ends up being Paraman, and that helps him uh, in that sense. But, you know, if they're just cannibalizing targets from each other, it could hurt both Crowder and Herndon. But he has been a guy drafting just because I look for these guys in these late-round tight ends for a path to either lead their team in targets or at least be a top two to three target on their team. Uh, So like Herndon really fit that mold for me with soft receiving core around him. I mean, you obviously got guys like Logan Thomas and Irv Smith uh, that are in that same bucket uh, that also in there and some other guys. But uh, that's what I look for in these later on tight ends. I'm looking for a depth chart where they can ascend and really compete to be a top target on their team.
0: Yeah, and the guy I picked was – the guy you just mentioned was Irv Smith. Um, yeah, I think he had one less target than Ru- uh, Rudolph last year. Um, Diggs is gone, obviously. Kirk Cousins is accurate AF. Um, I think Irv Smith is just kind of this, this, this sleeping beast, just wake, waiting to wake up this year. Um, I could see him just kind of ascending into that tight end one in year two. Uh, he's, he's the guy I'm always kind of targeting if I'm going for a tight end to in my drafts. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love her Smith. I love him coming out and I think he's, this is the year. So, um, get him all again. I mean, he's, he's cheap right now. So if in dynasty, go, go, go pay out, go pay for him. Cause he's, he's cheap. So go get him. Uh, that That is now officially it for the show. Um, again, I want to thank everybody for listening. Make sure you are going to our, uh, our podcast. You are uh, subscribing, rating, reviewing. It really does help us. Uh, I promise you, it really does. We're not just saying that at the end of every podcast because it's fun. Um, so please go do that because we really do appreciate all of that. Uh, again, make sure you're going to sharpfootballanalysis.com. You're getting Warren's amazing, incredible book before the season starts. Uh, and make sure you're signing up for that fantasy package as well, because, uh, you're going to want it heading into your fantasy drafts. And now's, is the time as good as any to go do that. Um, so make sure you're doing that. Uh, thanks for listening. We're going to be back next week with a really fun episode of our guys. So, uh, make sure you're, you're watching for that next week. Um, I am at Chad underscore Scott 13 on Twitter and Riches at Lord Reeves. Make sure you're following us. We'll see you next week. Later.